tonight, youth class, you're dismissed in Jesus' name. Be good. Be open-hearted with an open mind. Let the Lord lead you and guide you tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And the rest of us, let's turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. And then Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord tonight. There's nothing like a great midweek service with the presence of the Lord and a good Bible in your hand or on your phone that you can follow or your tablet. Praise the Lord. I don't know about you. I still like a hard copy. I use both, but this is, this is my jewel. I like to underline stuff. I like to check mark. I like to put notes in. I like to highlight. I like to highlight in different colors. I can't do that so much on, on the digital, you know. At least not the version I'm using. Amen. Hallelujah. I love, I love marking up my Bible. Not because I enjoy it, right? It's just, I underline stuff because I'm mad. I, I don't want to forget that. It just feel like if I underline it, I remember it better. And I will. Amen. There's something about this, sister. I don't know. From the hand to the mind, you know, just... I don't know. It works for me. Whatever it takes to remember the word of God better for you, do it. In Jesus' name. All right, James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war and you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. Now, he's writing to Christians, but he's really addressing us in our uh, pre-Christian state and what is basically going on in the world. And yet, we're having struggles after we come in the church because we have not made that, that forward necessary leap to step out of the world into the church. And there is progress to be made, and God is working on us. And we're on this road of progressive transformation. And it doesn't take place in one day. And so there's some things that we bring with us into the church as we have been born again that we've got to get rid of. We've got to change. And, and James addresses those things and lets us know that while we're walk, uh, walking down here on earth, that there are some things that we're going to have to contend with. Some things we're going to have to struggle against with the help of the Spirit of Almighty God. Now, along with that, another letter that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12. And uh, it begins with a beautiful verse that we can probably quote by heart. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. But I'm going down to verse 3 right away. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. The measure of faith. Amen. I'll get to that with a different translation in just a moment. But I want to talk to you tonight about the struggle of coping with conflict. Hallelujah. I think you know that in this life, while we're still walking in shoe leather and in flesh and blood, we're going to have some conflicts of various degrees. 
And that's what I want to address tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And yes, thank you for your precious blood that cleanses us, without which we could not be overcomers. Lord, we thank you, O Lord God, that you're here with us. I pray that each and every heart will be blessed and strengthened and edified, and everyone's faith will be strengthened and will also be challenged to change into your image from glory to glory that we all may be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the church say amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing for so long, and thank you. Thank you, Andrea, for playing in such a wonderful way. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Rapture. There she is. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I love that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Well, I think you know whether it's between nations or whether it's between political factions or even among races and nationalities of people or day-to-day conflicts that you and I experience at home, at work, at school. All conflict affects us in some way. And we've seen examples of it, and we know when we say conflict, we know what we think of, but how can we define it? And I looked at the the dictionary, and the the dictionary definition is always very good to start as a starting point. And the dictionary names a conflict as a struggle between opposing principles or aims. Amen. It's a struggle between opposing opposite principles or aims. And it's a clash of feelings and interests. Now, that's very interesting in itself, too. Feelings and interests. Hallelujah. Your feelings and interests, the things that interest you or something you've vested interest in, can cause you to struggle for your way and for your interest. Amen. And so the dictionary definition definitely sheds light on the cause of most conflicts, whether it's between countries or partners in a business or in a marriage, uh, or people working in the same office. Conflicts do take place. But it's in its simplest form, conflict is caused by how we react and how we handle, get this, differences. How we deal with differences, different personalities, different Aims, different interests, different feelings when they clash with ours or don't agree with ours. And, it, you know, if, if we lived on a desert island all by ourselves, we, we'd have a struggle to survive and, and we'd, we'd have to contend with a lot of things, but we wouldn't have conflict. Maybe internally you would, arguing with yourself of how you would have, could have, should have. Maybe, I don't know, but, but more often than not, on a desert island, you're all by yourself. There's nobody to argue with. There's nobody to fight with. There's nobody else's interests that you would be clashing with. Amen. But there would be only our way and nobody else's way. Okay? Uh, but we don't live in an island. And we don't live alone. And, and our way of thinking or doing things rubs other people wrong sometimes. And whether it's in the homes or in the family or in school or in the community, the world at large, uh, and everybody wants to do things their way. Now, 
when our way and their way are similar in approach, and you know, we can all agree, hey, everything's fine, there's harmony. But when their way and our way are very different from each other and are looking to achieve different goals, then it creates a greater possibility and propensity for conflict. And we need to be aware of that. Now, there's certain factors that contribute to conflict, and I want to talk about them a little bit. And obviously, there's not going to be a concise, uh, complete list and, and, and a, how should I say, that, an exhaustive uh, examination of conflict. But I want to keep it in, in, in a biblical context and at least touch on, on our human relationship aspect and living in society in general, uh, talk about politics a little bit without being political. Uh, but in any case, uh, talking about conflicts that you and I are, are facing each and every day. And so uh, factors that contribute to conflict. Uh, it, it's, it's not just that their way and our way are different when we say us and them, ours and, and, or mine and yours. But there are other factors besides these that contribute to conflict. And one of them is perception. Everybody say perception. perception. See, the, the problem between our way and their ways is often one of perception. We have to understand that. So we don't, we don't always perceive things the way that they really are. And that can cause problems. Uh, and, and, and this happens because... We don't take time to listen to somebody well enough and close enough, or we don't make an effort to understand them. As a result, there's a misunderstanding, and it, it sets the groundwork for conflict. And sometimes we've been given the wrong information. So our opinion about a certain person or a situation gets prejudiced. We have this certain prejudice against this problem, against this affront. And, and I have to say, politicians, news organizations, public celebrities, teachers, college professors, uh, and, 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 and they, they've used this, this tactic to, uh, to pit people against one another. And they do it on purpose to create conflict. And as, as a church, as Christians, we have to be aware of that. Amen. Uh, and this is an age-old trick of the devil, pure and simple. If you really look back at the Garden of Eden, when Satan comes on the scene and tempts Adam and Eve, it was to create division and conflict between them and God. Yea, hath God said, is to question God's word. And it says, no, thou shalt not surely die, lie. For God knows that the day that you eat there, you're going to be just like him. And God's trying to keep something good from you. See, stirring up trouble, stirring up conflict between man and God. And he's still doing the same thing between us and God, trying to create that conflict. God came, in fact, to, to, to establish peace between us and him. Ever since the devil uh, enacted war between us. And so this is what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5, where he says, we have been made ambassadors of Christ, and we're called to, and have been given this ministry of reconciliation. This is why the angels uh, in Bethlehem, when Jesus was born, said, and, and peace on earth, goodwill toward man. And he's not talking about creating peace between all nations and, and between people. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's establishing the means whereby we can have 
peace with God where, where from now on we don't have to be at war with him. And that's the most important thing. But again, back to perception. Uh, it, it, it's, 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 it's these politicians and news organizations, public celebrities, teachers, college professors, they use this tactic to create uh, a conflict among people to, to, to somehow undermine the peace peace that we so much crave. Now, in, in cases uh, like these, uh, we, we react negatively uh, when we, we are given the wrong information. You know, we're fed a bunch of lies and uh, sometimes, uh, you know, we misunderstand uh, other people and, 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 uh, and, and so it affects how we relate to one another. It affects how we relate to one another. And, and, and then when we get on a job it, uh, or even in church, it, it, it predisposes you to, to be defensive one or to be hostile to somebody else. And it, it, it debilitates this collaboration that we really need in society at the workplace and in factories and, and offices, wherever you are, in schools, and then to foster peace so we can get along and work together for a common good. And so many ways, we, we begin to, to have conflict on personal levels when we enter into an environment when there's hostility. And there's conflict that comes about because all of a sudden, it's, it becomes a fight between my ideas and their ideas. Amen. And so, uh, it, it's, it's, it, it's a problem. Amen. And so, not, not having the right information messes with our perception of how things really are. We think evil of somebody when we shouldn't. We think that they're against us when they may not be. Amen. Uh, and, and it's, we can hear of something that is not good, not true. It could be self-service. We've heard that a certain person or a certain group of people are dangerous. They're not good. Uh, or simply because their way doesn't fit or, or suit or fancy. And uh, they're not doing things the right way, but my way is the, the best way and the only way. And, and so in, in this way, our perception, my perception of the way they're doing things, the way they see things is negative. It is bad. And it postures me in a hostile way against them. And it prejudices my behavior against them. So we have to be careful. Perception affects the way that we, we posture each other towards others. And we have to be careful of that in this church as well, folks. Amen. Be careful what you think about your brother and your sister. Give your brother and sister the benefit of the doubt. Don't think that because he belongs to this group or that group that he's your enemy. Because he doesn't fellowship with you as often as he should or she should, it doesn't make them your enemy. It doesn't mean they hate you. Amen. Uh, so be careful. Now, for us Christians, there are some things that are absolutely the right way. You know? Uh, in moral sense, when we talk about morality, there is a right way and a wrong way, right? There's some things that, that has to be right, and the right way is defined by the word of God. But, but I'm not talking about right or wrong in a moral sense. I'm, I'm basically talking tonight about issues which are, are, are not morally right or wrong. It's not about morality. But I'm speaking about 
preferred ways of doing things. Doing things our own way. And then trying to impose that way or that method on somebody else. Imposing it on them simply because it suits my fancy better. And that can create, you know, uh, conflict. And so that brings me to the next point. Perception is one. The second thing is pride. So we tend to think that our way, in whatever context, is always the best way. Again, I'm not talking about moral things. If I'm talking about morality, right? Cheating is always wrong. Lying is always wrong. It's not my way. It's not your way. It's God's way. And that word say, that's the way it is for everybody. If you mess up on that, you mess up, period. It's not because you're, you know, you're, you're disobeying me. No, you're, we're disobeying God. So anyway, we, we, we tend to think that our way is, is, is the best way. As long as everybody does uh, whatever we want, then there's no conflict. But there are many reasons for this type of an attitude for most common reason is, is having this false estimate of our own true self-worth. Amen. Hallelujah. Our way. Now, some people suffer from low self-esteem and they falsely think that they're not worthy. And others suffer from an overly high estimate of themselves and believe that they're more than worthy. And uh, it's this type of attitude that more often leads to conflict than any other. Amen. Hallelujah. But again, I'm not talking about morality. Praise God. Pride. Our way. Our way. Hallelujah. Our way destroys couples and marriage, destroys partners and businesses. It separates very friends and it separates brothers and sisters in Christ and the church when we're so adamant and strong in having things done our way. Now there's some things, you know, you're in your own home, you do what you want. Amen. Hallelujah. There's, there can be conflict in mind. I can tell you right now. Hallelujah. If somebody comes in my house and they're going to squeeze that toothpaste from the top and not from the bottom, you're in trouble. Amen. Now you better fold the towels the right way. You better long way, fold them in half, then half again, and you do three ways. How many husbands have learned that? Nope. Hallelujah. You better fold your underwear the right way. Now, some of it I learned in basic training. Yeah, they teach a lot of those things. Amen. Hallelujah. But I had somebody come to my house not too long ago and uh, we clean up after them. And lo and behold, I couldn't believe it. They put the toilet paper in under instead of over. What a travesty. I mean, that's unheard of, Brother Brian. That's my way. Hallelujah. My goodness. Amen. I mean, this, see, that's a little bit of pride. Thank you, Jesus. But I got the victory over it. So when they left, I put it back the right way. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Perception and pride. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's okay to have your own way. Amen. But I'm not going to demand that, you know, for them to stay at my house. You want, 
I grit my teeth. But it, it works out. It's all right. Hallelujah. Perception, pride, and then there's politics. Politics, I'm not talking about government and political parties. Politics, in this sense, is reused uh, to describe the games that people play, to manipulate people to get their way. <laughs> really, that's, that's politics too. Yes, governments play politics also so they can hold on to power and impose the, their will on the people in running the country, absolutely. But I'm referring to strategies and methods that groups and individuals use in order to impose their will on others. So some of these strategies and methods they use are, are brutal when it comes to politics. In, in many countries, you see the effects of it. So governmental forces use force to impose their will upon the people. In politics, it's... it's the way that we, we get our way, it, it has an effect on the intensity of conflict that we will experience. For example, you know, government brutality, let's put it that way. What happened in 1776 when the British were so brutal? What happens in any country when uh, the forces of government becomes so brutal? Well, you begin to see a group of people rise to resistance and resistance movements and civil war takes place and then one group pushes back against another creating social conflict. Why? Because a political power went too far. They begin to impose their will that the people were not willing to accept. You take it to something less serious than that, maybe to an office place and to a company and you got a domineering boss who insists that his way or her way is, is the only way. And, and then, you know, uh, before you know it, these uh, co-workers and underlings are unintentionally uh, fostering other employees to be passively aggressive and, and, uh, and sabotage what you're trying to do. Hallelujah. I, and, and, you know, I've, I've seen that before. Uh, in a factory, I used to be a, a, a foreman in one factory, and I remember it was a union shop. Now, I, I worked union too uh, in my younger days when I came out of high school and worked another factory, union. And then, then I worked another factory here in Sauger, Illinois, and I'll tell you, uh, there was conflict sometimes. And, uh, and, and there was conflict uh, when, when people didn't want to do the work or didn't want to follow the rules. And I, I went by the rules, and people didn't like that. I was, I was quite young and green behind the ears as a foreman and a supervisor. And I remember one time when I was in charge of shipping, and I mean thousands of pounds of, of uh, reclaimed uh, rubber was going out on trucks, about 48,000 pounds on one 18-wheeler. That's a lot of, lot of rubber, a lot of money, really. And one day, I had one forklift operator that sat there and took advantage of my naivete and my ignorance and simply sat there and didn't move any pallets and didn't load any trucks. That day, three trucks didn't go out because I did not tell him to do his job. It bothered me. That was just one. Hallelujah. 
And uh, there was conflict. There was some conflict with people. You know, I'm, I'm talking about the jobs. And you know what I'm talking about. There's all kinds of conflict even today in, in offices and, and, and factories and so on. Uh, some, you know, they're, they're righteous in cause. Others are not. But the fact is people don't like to be told what to do. And when you do tell them, they, uh, they're mad. For you tell them to do the right thing. Hallelujah. Oh, well, praise God. So anyway, uh, I think we all have experiences with conflict in, in, in our jobs and our work sites. Um, and, and even in a marriage, you know, the, the husband who thinks that he knows it all and he, he has all power and authority, he's tied to dominate, you know, in a marriage. That, that is not a very healthy, healthy relationship. And uh, it may create a wife who challenges him every matter and tries to prove him wrong. Well, now we all know that, that in generally speaking, that's true anyway. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not referring to my marriage. No, oh, no, this is not. I remember one of the first things I saw uh, in, in English when I first came to America. I saw a, one of those hot plate deals that you put, you know, hot, not dishes, but pans and stuff on on the, on the table, it said this, one of the first things I learned in English, behind every successful man, there's a woman telling him that he's wrong. <laughs> hey, get used to it, man, I'm telling you, if you're successful, there's someone behind you telling you, nah, you did it all wrong. Mm -mm. No, 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 amen. Well, Christian women do, don't do that, do that. Oh, no. Well, no, Christian women don't do that. Uh, when you're born again, you change all that, and you change your stripes and your spots, and you, you, all, you become altogether different. Like men. <laughs> we don't change. Like, you know, we just, you know, hallelujah. Praise God. But, but what I'm getting at is, is, is when you have these dyna this dynamic in, in a marriage relationship, even, or any relationship, it creates conflict. To certain levels, amen. And so, so the resultant situation in all these cases, whether it's a job, marriage, you know, or in government, you know, they, it, it has an effect on us, an effect in the, on the way that we relate to one another in the church as well. And that can affect us in, in a negative way. And we've got to be aware of these of these dynamics, amen. And so the list goes on and on and on, in, in, in various ways conflict can arise. You know, based upon how we want to impose our way. Amen. Now, really, uh, I think this is why in, in any organization, and especially in, in, in the Church of the Living God, this is why we have team meetings. And, and I know the ladies have their meetings. And, and the youth leaders have their meetings. And kidsmen have their meetings. And the pastoral staff have their meetings. Amen. And we meet. Why? Because we, we want to talk about our goals, and we want to talk about what we need to do so we can come to agreement. Why? So there's no, well, actually, no, I won't say no. So we minimize, we minimize the possibility for conflict. We don't want to fight against each other. We want to fight against the devil. Amen. We want to, we want to accomplish a goal in the winning the lost at any cost. So we ought to bring harmony and, and uh, working together by coming to uh, an agreement on, uh, on things that we can agree on, hallelujah, to carry out the mission. 
Now, as, as politics, our politics as Christians are, are formed by our ethics and by politics. Again, I mean about the way we approach things, the way we want to get things done. Uh, so it is our ethics that influences how we, how we uh, bring about uh, change and, and wanting to, to, to do things. And it, it's, it's, the ethics is our sense of right and wrong. Now, what is it that gives you your sense of right and wrong? For us as Christians, it's the word of God. Now imagine a person that has not been brought up in church. Where do they get their sense of right and wrong? See, it's whatever they have learned in, in their family or uh, from their friends or even from school. And so you can't count on, on everybody having a, a biblical background and having this foundation uh, in the word of God whereby they can determine right from wrong. They may be guided by totally different value system than ours. And this is why it's important for us. And this is, of course, why we don't use any novice in the church and any, in leadership. We have always used people who are, who are well-versed in the Bible and uh, they know who they are and they know uh, our value system. And they have strong convictions and that's important. But anyway, uh, it, it, our, our ethics... Is, is dictated by the word of God and, and what we know. This is why it's so important to know the word of God. And so how we impose our way will be guided by what we believe and what we believe to be right and wrong. And it's defined by and modeled in the Bible. And that's what we go by. Hallelujah. Now, this is true for government as well, for married couples and work, family, and friends. Uh, the way they relate to each other is going to be defined by their value system. And uh, how and when we choose to get our way as, as uh, we begin to, you know, to, to, to practice politics or playing this, this, this game of, of getting our, our way by influencing the other person. Um, but interestingly, the Bible gives us a way to reduce or minimize the possibility for conflict in, in every area of human relationships. Now, if you think about it, Matthew chapter 5, and I think, I can't remember who was it that talked about it recently, I think. Uh, but it was, wasn't in this context. But Matthew chapter 5, um, Jesus talked about, for example, uh, in verse 39 through 41, whosoever smite thee on thy right cheek, turn him the other also. Why? It's to minimize conflict. It's to de-escalate in modern terms. <laughs> it's to de-escalate. Jesus says somebody's... And now really, this is about personal relationships. Not so about, it's not talking so much addressing criminality. It's talking about our personal relationship. If somebody smacks you and gets so, you know, flies so much off the handle and they smite you on the face, Jesus said, turn the other cheek also. If a man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Why? He says, I'd rather suffer you, you suffer loss than to have a fight in a godless court system. It, let him have it. Why? To de-escalate 
that you keep your peace and it doesn't go any further. Because human, human, uh, humans in, in general will, will want to, you know, if you're hit, you know, you hit me once, I'll hit you twice. That's the way it is. You hit me, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you real bad. That's human intuition. And, and, and really the law, the Old, Old Testament law, really limited that kind of retribution. That's why it said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Why? Because, all right, you lost your tooth. You, you may be right in, you know, exacting the same kind of punishment as, as you know, they meted out on you, but well, you can't go any further. They hit you once, you can only hit back once. So limiting you. But human intuition, without any rules, is I'm, I'm going to hurt you worse than you hurt me. And Jesus is trying to contramend that even in, in a moral sense. Say, you know, if, if somebody smacks you in the face, then give them another one. Maybe be passive in that respect. Because it de-escalates and, and it tends to peace rather than making the conflict ever worse. I'm talking about discipleship now. I'm talking about really getting a hold of our, of our, of our behavior. And I, I get to you this in a minute, why this is so important. Um, and then Jesus goes on to say, uh, whosoever will compel thee go a mile, go with him twain. You know, the Roman soldiers, they had a right to tell a Hebrew to pick up his, his, his military pack and walk a mile carrying his pack. One mile, that was the law. He couldn't argue about it. Pick it up. Well, many times that, that person, that Jewish person, by constraint, would stop a lot shorter than the one mile. And an argument would ensue. It's been a mile. Here it is. The Romans said, no, it's not been a mile. You know, you got another half a mile to go or whatever. And they'd argue back and forth. And you said, if it happens, don't do that. If they force you to go one mile, go two. Why? To avoid conflict and to ensue peace more than anything. You know, this is why, this is where the statement says, it comes from when we say, go the extra mile. That's where it comes from. It's to ensue peace and to, to do whatever you can to de-escalate and, and maintain peace. Jesus said in verse 44, Matthew 5, but I say unto you, said, you know, before that he said, it has been said by someone old, says you shall love your friends and hate the enemies. But he says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye might be the children of your father which is in heaven. Boy, that goes totally, goes totally contrary to our human impulses. Hallelujah. And, and it's the same thing when we talk about, you know, uh, marriage and somebody married to an unbeliever. In 1 Corinthians 7, 15, Paul said, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. In other words, there's a couple being married. They're heathen or they were not Christians when they got married, and all of a sudden one of them gets in church, and the other one says, I'm going to stay with you. And Paul said, fine, as long as they accept everything that you do as a Christian, if there's peace, beautiful, wonderful, stay with them. But then there are those who say, well, you know what? I don't like this newfound Christianity that you have found, 
and, uh, and I still want you to go with me, go party and, and, and go bar hopping and do other things that we used to do and go, go to, the, to the dance halls and so on and, and do all these kind of worldly things. Well, uh, and, and, and the Christian says, you know, I can't do that. And if that person says, well, I can't live with you anymore like that. That's not the person who I married. And Paul said, if the unbeliever leaves, let them leave. And a brother or a sister is not under obligation to stay together, not in bondage in such cases. For God has called us to peace, not conflict. That's how important God wants you and I to have peace and, and having a life in the absence of conflict as much as possible. Amen. Man, in, in a marriage, uh, you know, if you think about it, when you look at uh, the admonition of the apostle Peter to husbands and wives in 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 1 on to verse, what is it, 6? And then he says, look what it says to the wives. He, you wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, if anybody who's an unbeliever, that they also may without the word, without preaching, be won by the conversation or the behavior, and I should say the Christian behavior of the wives. What all this, what's all this regulation about? What's this admonition? It's to preserve peace and unity and harmony. And not to create conflict with your religion by constantly badgering the person. But loving them. While they, the husbands, the unbelieving husband, behold, did he watch your chaste conversation coupled with fear, reverence, respect. That they, that they look at your life as a Christian and you make them want to be the same way. It brings the best out of them. And you read the rest of it. And the same thing going all the way down the husbands. Then, likewise, ye husbands dwell with them, the wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren. In other words, friendship. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rending, not returning trouble for trouble or Accus, not accusation, but railing for railing. It is insult for insult. Don't trade insult for insult, but contrary-wise blessing. Why? To minimize the areas of conflict. Don't fight back. De-escalate. Step back. Many times it's our pride that gets in the way. Male and female now, come on. The pride that gets in the way to want to fight for our way and fight for, you know, for our strength and our, our word to be heard. And Peter said, don't do it because it'll just escalate into more trouble. Don't get caught in this, on the, in this cycle of, of trouble for trouble and insult for insult because nobody's going to win there. Amen. So contrary wise, do the opposite. Don't insult, bless. Bless, hallelujah. And then and the same thing with, with uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Notice it's all about, uh, about addressing conflict. When you talk about Ephesians chapter 5 and the, and the relationship between, uh, uh, between a husband and wife, uh, and, and Paul likens it to 
uh, the relationship of Christ to the church. But in verse 21, uh, he says to both husband and wife and to us Christians, submit yourselves one to another. First Peter 5, we're told also to, you know, the church, the, one, the younger submit to the elders and to submit to the pastors where they don't watch over your souls. But submit yourselves one to another. And it has to do everything with, with, with preferring your brother before you. It's not fighting for your own will and your own way, but it's preferring the other. It's a matter of yieldedness. Out of love. And so then he goes on. Wives, submit yourselves uh, unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Lord, he says, submit yourselves. You do it. Nobody can make you. You submit yourself to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 25. Then verse 31, he says, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife, see that she reverence her husband. You respect. See, it's all about minimizing conflict to maintain peace and harmony in marriage. You see that? It's all about conflict uh, resolution or maintaining a harmony and love in a peaceful state in, in our relationships, whether it's in a home, in a work job, or in a church for that matter. It has a bearing to all for you and I. Okay, so the Bible and conflict, I want to move on real quick, hallelujah. Uh, again, this is a broad subject, and I'm, I'm trying to limit it the best I can. And uh, so some of the factors that influence conflict, perception, pride, and politics. It's the politics. Yeah. Uh, perception, my way is better. Pride, and my way is the best. And politics is, you know, my way by any means. <laughs> hallelujah. So the Bible makes some suggestions as to how we can avoid or at least minimize the frequency and intensity of conflict. And one is, first of all, to examine ourselves. Examine our way. Let's face it, the, the reason for most of the conflicts in our lives that we, we have is because we're not able to get our way all the time. That's why we read in James 4, I'm going to read another translation. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So when we don't get our way in our personal relationships and jobs and family, we begin to examine the other person and the facts in a situation and try to blame somebody else rather than look our own way. And so conflicts are, are rarely fixed and resolved without some kind of a change, but most of the time we want the other person to change and not us. And we always, we always expect someone else to, to do the changing. Uh, we want them to change their way in order to accommodate our way. Because after all, our way is right. Our way is better. Our way is more convenient to me. It's more comfortable to me. Amen. And so my way is better <laughs> for me. <laughs> Praise God. Romans 12, 3 says this. For 
for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now, Paul here is, is admonishing you and I to be honest with ourselves when we evaluate ourselves. When you go to the conflict, you have to start looking at yourself. What am I bringing into this conflict? How much of this conflict am I responsible for? What's my portion in this? But you've got to evaluate yourself right. And you can't measure yourself by yourself. Amen. But rather by the measure that God has given you. And when he talks about uh, God has allotted to each the measure of faith, that measure of faith is not talking about faith to receive the Holy Ghost, faith to receive miracles, it's faith to walk with God. No, no. It's talking about the body of teaching, the doctrine that we have been given, whereby we have the measuring stick, whereby we can measure ourselves. It's this book that determines whether our actions and reactions, our words, our behavior is acceptable to God or not. Because it's God's way that will solve and resolve a conflict more than any other way. So this is why Paul said, it's not about a measure of faith for doing miracles because he's about to talk about, uh, in chapter 12, about other gifts of the Spirit and exercise them. He said, before we get to that, I want to make sure that you examine yourself and you, you don't think of yourself better than you really are, but you better use the right measuring stick because this is the right measuring stick for every one of us. There's no difference. So before you 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 you. you fault somebody else for a conflict, you better examine yourself. Have you lived up to this measurement in your part of this relationship? Amen. And it's your part of this conflict. Hallelujah. And so Christians don't have their way. They have God's way. Amen. We got God's way in dealing with things that, that come against us. See, Paul says to measure your way against his way. And we need to make sure that we're aligned with this and not with anything else. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so instead of fighting fire with fire that we are told to do, you know, hey, you got to fight fire with fire. No, the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 1, King James Version first, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. New Living Translation a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Hey, does God know us or what? Huh? You know, man, me, somebody speaks to you harsh. Your blood pressure just went up 50 points. Your face turns red and your muscles tighten and your lips quiver. What? Some start shaking. My little nephew, my little grandson, he just throw himself on the front, on the on the ground. Because <laughs> he can't get his way. He can't tell me that he wants his way, but he tells me by throwing himself on the ground. Exactly what he's doing. Hallelujah. He knows exactly what he, two, he's not even two years old until the 23rd of this month. Can you can you believe that? And he is here playing politics already. 
trying to manipulate me because I don't give him his way. Two. Start early, I'll tell you. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make temper flare. Proverbs 15.1. So instead of fighting fire with fire, gentle answer is softness. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's God's way. It may not be your way, but it should be. If we're Christian, this is our measuring stick. And this is what God is looking for. Why? Like Jesus says, so that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. In other words, you should reflect your father's DNA. And that comes in the Holy Ghost. Right? The old-fashioned, old-time used to say, you know, you may have the Holy Ghost, does the Holy Ghost have you? And if the Holy Ghost has you, then this is going to be your way instead of your way. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, Romans 12, 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another. In other words, instead of my way or the highway, I'm deferring to you because I love you in Christ and I'm going to honor you. Amen. I'm going to listen to you. I want to, I want to hear what you have to say. I want, to, I want to hear what it is that bothers you. I really want to know what's, 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 what's bugging you because I don't want any situation between you and I. We, we need to be working together. We got, we got a, a lost world that we're in. We can't afford anything to get between us. Hallelujah. And so we need to, to ask ourselves, how much am I contributing to this conflict that I'm experiencing? And again, many times it's a pride, misunderstanding, prejudice, or approach that may be just pouring gasoline on the fire instead of water. So we've got to ask the question again, indeed, how much of this conflict am I responsible for? I know an, an honest estimate of ourselves is always using God's word as the measure. And it's always the only thing that brings a conclusion, an end to any conflict. You do it God's way, it's the way that it's going to finish out good. Hallelujah. Listen, you can trust the word of God. You go his way instead of giving in to your emotions, your feelings, conflict, for your feelings or your interest. Amen. It may be justified. You may feel that you're right. Don't you want the end of conflict? Get to step away a little bit. Step back and quit fighting for your right. Hallelujah. I'm talking about relationships here. Hallelujah. <clears throat> All right. So, so number one, uh, indeed, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about conflict. And the first thing the Bible tells us, examine your way. The second thing is uh, that the Bible tells us that we are to expect conflict. There will always be conflict. As Christians, we need to minimize what we do create, and, in, and, and we want to minimize the intensity, and we don't want to prolong but shorten the conflict. And, and uh, so we have, we have the word of God and the help of God to help us to, to get there. It's, look, we're, we're not called to stop all conflict in the world. We're not. The church is not here. To establish peace on earth, contrary to what other people would think. Um, listen to what, to, to what Jesus says 
in Matthew 24, 4 through 8. And Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come. This is the New Living Translation, by the way. Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end will not follow immediately. For nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. We are to expect conflict. More so, especially in these last days than ever before. Jesus said so. But hallelujah, we need to know how to respond to all that. Jesus even warned his disciples that because of their faith in him, that they would be drawn into conflict. Listen to Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 36. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. That's Jesus talking. Don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. That means you've got conflict in families. When Listen, when somebody gets to be a Pentecostal tongue talk on the Holy Roller, born again, heaven-bound believer in Jesus' name, and you come out of a, a traditional uh, some kind of a Christian church, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be conflict. The kids that get kicked out of their houses, their children and others that are disowned because of that. Hallelujah. But it's important for you and I to realize that the only conflict that you and I engage in is fighting the good fight of faith. It's one that involves faith in Jesus Christ. It's this conflict, this struggle that we have with us that will always be present with us. It's this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. That's a fight that we got to win every day. It's the fight to establish the kingdom of God and it's the, 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 the spirit on the inside warring against the flesh on the outside. In addition to this, we're going to be constantly challenged day by day to live this Christian walk in this unbelieving world. That's a conflict that we must win. By then I mean being faithful. Win doesn't always mean that you survive. Every one of the apostles except one died a martyr's death. And there are examples. <laughs> So there's always going to be conflict in, in, of some kind. But Christians focus on the conflict involved in establishing the spiritual kingdom. And we try to minimize all others. Look, this is why we must not get sidetracked with politics. We must get not, not sidetracked in, in the wars of the world and the contentions of the world. We've got to focus on one thing, fighting the good fight of faith. It's you and I staying spiritual. And you and I doing that involvement and engagement which is the battles of the Lord we fight the Lord's battles and the Lord's ways we we, we battle no we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood 
right? But against principalities and powers and, and rules of this darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places, that's what our battle and our war is with. Our conflict is spiritual. It's not fleshly. It's not certainly political. You don't pray for them? No, no, no. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the king. Pray for everybody in authority. The Bible says so. But as far as conflict is concerned, real conflict and battle, it should be spiritual and not physical and not political. Oh, hallelujah. Listen, Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. I'm coming to a close. Andrew, you can come to the piano. Finally, brethren. You know what? 610 begins with the word finally. (laughs) Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil for our struggle. Everybody say our struggle. Our conflict, you may say, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God hallelujah stand your ground stand your God the Bible says having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace peace not conflict peace you know what that refers to the having your shoes shod in the old days they, they, they put these spikes into the shoes so that your, your shoes when you're fighting in a battle you're not slipping on the ground you're, you're planted And you don't slip and lose your balance so that you can fight. Because if you slip and fall, the enemy's going to get you, overwhelm you, and they'll stab you and use a sword and cut your head off when you slip and fall. And Paul said, hey man, just like the Roman soldiers of the day had their, their shoes shod with these spikes, let peace be that spike that grounds you. The peace of God is what will ground you and help you stand your ground. You can't get wrapped up in all the conflicts of the world, militarily and politically and socially, racially. Hallelujah. Amen. We're one family. We're one blood. We're by the blood of Jesus Christ. And let me remind you, Paul, in the Bible, said in the book of Acts, that he had, God had made all men of one blood. One blood. And we know the truth. We've got truth on our side. Amen. We've got to fight for truth. Not for anything else. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now last but not least, folks, stand to your feet with me. We've got to take the Lord in prayer. One, we've got to examine our way. Two, we've got to expect conflict. And number three, pray. Turn your neighbor and say, pray through. Hallelujah. I know that the prayer is the answer to every Every, every need, everything that we have need of, everything we'll go through prayer, 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 yes. But can I tell you that prayer and conflict is the most important thing that you can do? Prayer is a time that, that we need to pray more than ever. As painful as it may be, as threatening as it is, 
can create all kinds of upheaval and pain in our lives. But you and I are most vulnerable when we're in a conflict. And we've got to understand that. This is why we've got to take it to the Lord in prayer when we have a conflict on our hands. We've got to pray and say, Lord, am I dealing with this the right way? And really, Lord, I don't understand how to fix this. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this, really. I think I know I'm from my part. I think I handled it right. But Lord, what can I do to de-escalate? What can I do to win this spiritual struggle? Because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. Hallelujah. I want to do that which pleases you and results in peace and not in furtherance of the conflict. And we need the help of God for that. Can I remind you that it was conflict that, 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 that resulted in, in Abel being killed by Cain? And it was Paul and Barnabas which were in conflict over John Mark's conduct. You know, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas was the one that called Paul into the, in, into the greater ministry. And, and then it was uh, Paul and Barnabas that God said in Acts chapter 13, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work which I have called them. They went out on their first missionary journey. And all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, Paul said, man, hey man uh, no, not Paul, but Barnabas said, hey, let's, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul said, no way. Because he went back home from us. I'm not calling him. I don't, I don't want him with us. And the Bible says that the contention was so sharp between them that they divided, they separated asunder one from the other. You know, a lot of times we think about Paul and, and Barnabas, and they were spiritual giants, but they were human beings. And this, this, this conflict, believe it or not, threatened Paul's ministry and the fulfillment of his great call to reach the Gentile nations. And when, once they separated, you never read a word about Barnabas again. That great friendship that started such a great way because of conflict. Conflict in the church endangers the work of God, folks. And this is why we've got to deal with conflict. We've got to look at our part. We've got to look at, you know, what, what, what dog we've got in the fight in this thing. What's my part in this? What, what is my responsibility? And I've got to fix this God's way. And if we don't know what to do, how to wait, amen, get some counsel, get some advice. But more than anything, fast and pray and ask God, Lord, what should I do? God's way is the best way. So when you pray and do that, which is the hardest thing, wait on God. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Psalms 25, verse 4, show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Listen, God's the only one that knows the root of this thing. He knows the root of the conflict. He knows the solution. And the truth is, that peace that the world needs can only come when they invest their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ then they will get the peace that passes all understanding. Isn't it true? See, they, they, there will be no peace in the world. There will be no peace in the world until Jesus comes. There will be no peace. I mean, yes, they have tried diplomacy, mediation. They tried war. 
the communist Mao Zedong he said, well, before you know, peace comes at the end of a barrel of a, of a rifle. Which means that if you, there's no agreement, the only way to do it is, is to beat up the other one, just destroy them. Then there's peace. One side wins. That's, that's communist Mao Zedong. You know, he was a big guy that established communism in China. But, but the tr- reality is that God's prescription for peace is through him. After all, he is the Prince of Peace. And until they invite Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to their bargaining tables, we know from written history that was recorded way before it ever happens, we know that there will be no peace among nations until Jesus comes. Hallelujah. I want the peace of God, don't you? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I want God's wisdom. I want his help. I want the peace of the Holy Ghost. And uh, that peace that passes all understanding. Amen. Conflict. Everybody has it. We all experience it. Now we're better equipped, I think. Hallelujah. Let's sing. Oh, peace, peace. Wonderful peace. Coming down.